I'm viewed as valuable now, not just because I can do the work. I may not be the one that's doing the work. Early on in my career, I did everything for everyone except for myself. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. If you've been on an airplane, the flight attendant tells you to put your mask on if the cabin loses pressure. They repeatedly instruct you to do it first before helping others. But why? Surely you should help children first. Dustin Sandland, who explores the world using science, is a U.S. engineer and aspiring astronaut that created a video to show the exact science behind this rule. We've included the video in our show notes. He enters a special chamber to find out what happens if you don't put on your mask. After a few minutes, he starts to lose brain function, cannot identify basic shapes, and can't even speak or put his mask on. Someone must step in and put it on for him to prevent him from dying. Are you all about others to your own detriment? By the time you've helped someone else, you may not know how to help yourself. Sound like you? What do you do to act or think in another way? Jen Oliver is a Senior Director of Service Academic Division at the University of Virginia who has learned a valuable lesson about putting the mask on first. Before her study with Influence Ecology, primarily other people's needs informed her plans. Her work was only oriented around doing for others, which left her overwhelmed and sometimes aimless. Like many people, she was waiting for others to notice her value and reward her accordingly. She now takes care of herself and her aims before assisting others. She's learned to decline requests, respect her own aims, and spend that time on what matters to her personally and professionally. Her interview demonstrates how she's gained more time, more money, and more focus. In today's Guru Talk, co-founder Kirkland Tibbles teaches about the willingness to decline and how doing so produces more authority and freedom. Here's the interview. Well, Jen Oliver, welcome to the Influence Ecology Podcast. Great to have you with us. It's great to be here. Take a second and introduce yourself. My name is Jen Oliver, and I am the Senior Director of Service for Academic Division at the University of Virginia Human Resources Department. Very good. And in the way that we teach it, you identify as which personality? I identify as a producer. Describe that personality from what you understand about it. Producers do a lot of things and struggle declining to do a lot of things. And many others in the environment with us often come to us for things because they know that we'll do them for them. 
<laughs> whether we should be doing them or not. Good. Well, I think that leads us to what I suspect from your notes and from observation and working with you for how long have we been working together now? Just over five years now. Goodness gracious. We have said in many different ways throughout our study, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on others. Because many times people don't do that, especially our producer personalities. They tend to put the oxygen mask on others first. It sounds like you've had some important lessons about that throughout the years. Yes. Yes, I definitely have. I have been very successful in my career, but I will say that it came with a cost. <laughs> and early on in my career, I did everything for everyone except for myself. And so I was that person that everyone came to, and I would always find a solution to whatever breakdown they had, every issue they had, even if it wasn't in the domain that I should have been dealing with. I didn't take care of myself, and I suffered pretty greatly in certain areas of my life because of that. And so, yes, I, I didn't put the oxygen mask on first. I will say that has completely changed, and I'm doing that today. How is life now? Life now is much better. I take care of myself and I concentrate on what is important for where I need to head. And I am comfortable in declining requests that people make of me, but in a very respectful way. That was really hard for me in the past, uh, even if it was just my kids, not even just in my career, it was throughout everything. I was on every board. I was on every PTO. I was the coordinator for this, that, and the other thing. I was on every committee at work, and it took hold of my life and who I was. It defined me. And what was all that like for you? I mean, it sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny you ask that, because I look back on a regular basis now and say, how did I handle that? I think because I was just on autopilot constantly, I didn't know any different. And so I often didn't know what I was missing until it was missed. And that was a huge aha for me. I also felt value by doing. That's just in my personality. But I was spending time on that doing in the wrong places in my life. I wasn't focusing on areas that were important, marriage, kids, things that made me happy. I just thought by taking care of everyone else was what I was meant to do. There are different personalities, of course. As we teach it, there's the inventor, the performer, the producer, and the judge. The producer tends to be the doer in all transactions. And oftentimes when people come study with influence ecology and come to understand transactions, the way they work, where they're best suited in transactions, they learn to be responsible for both the asset and the liability of their personality in transaction. So there is an asset to your personality in transaction, and it's obvious. You can hear it. You can hear how needed, how useful, how helpful, how included you are in all of it. Yet there's the liability of it, which is what you've been describing. Where am I in this transaction? I'm thinking about people who might be hearing about this for the first time and wondering, if I identify with Jan and the way you describe yourself before, what are some of the things that you began to do or see that 
started to change life for you? What would you advise someone? The very first thing that I noticed first and foremost when I started studying with influence ecology was not only was I doing everything, but I was also in this mind frame of everyone must do it as well as I. And that was really becoming a problem for me in career as well as some other areas of my life. And so that was the first thing that I focused on. Once I started learning those personalities, I really started focusing on what was important to those individuals and how I needed to move differently with them. And that it wasn't about everyone being the same as I, and that was actually a really bad approach for me to have taken for so long. You mean like people didn't have to do it with the same perfection as you? The same rigor, right. The same rigor, perfection. I really started accepting people for who they were and where they were at at the time that I I had those transactions with them. And that's the first time that at least people in the office started saying to me, what are you doing? (laughs) Something's different. And was that because you began to see that other personalities would move in different ways than you or be concerned for different things than you? Yeah, I was really focusing on what I saw was causing relationships to break down for me in that area. So when I get a call from a senior leader and says, Jen, you pissed that person off, (laughs) I was starting to take note that it was all embedded in my personality and how I was moving. I was not moving correctly with others that had other personalities. I just expected that everyone should see me as who I am. And if I set a deadline for something, everyone should turn it in on time. And that wasn't the case. So that was the first thing that I, I really started focusing on. I would say the second thing that I started focusing on was, as a doer, I am very involved with many different charities and I love taking care of people and certain missions and areas of my life where, and it shifts all the time, but those that have less than me. And so I really focused on how could I bring that humility that's in my personality into the workplace and the office and and in my career and really tend to that more often. And it really started to show itself in ways where I was recognizing people more. I would say thank you to people privately, but I never thanked them publicly in front of people when they did something great. I completely recognized that. And so just started to change the way and let people be where they are and found that they followed and performed better when I stopped being in their business and really telling them how they should do their work. If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. 
Again, text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. How did that impact things in the family life? Well, it definitely impacted my relationship with my spouse because he is a judge and he is an introvert and he is always right first. And so I learned how to provide feedback. Um, I wanted an immediate answer right away. And I've learned that if I want to have a conversation, I have to give him 24 to 48 hours for him to think about it. And that's made such a difference. I mean, just some basic things like we have to talk about what camps the kids were going to go to over the summer. And I wanted to have it all blocked out and and fixed in an hour at seven o'clock on a Wednesday night. And he didn't want any part of that. He was like, I I just need to think about this for a minute. And I, I didn't understand why. And I didn't want to understand why. This is really good. What I love about this is one of the things that I personally find extraordinarily valuable about understanding personality and transactional behavior is not just the things about myself, but all the things about how I might speak the language of the other personalities. How do I speak that language? How do I talk to them in a way that works for them? And one thing that we've seen for sure is that a producer's mind is like a file cabinet. It's very much organized where things are objective in certain places and it's a very black or white yes or no on or off kind of world and then for the other personalities they don't see that way don't live that way don't don't think can't think that way um and it sounds like you gave a lot of room to people to think or see in other ways anything else you want to say about all that Well, yes, I gave them room to think. And then in return, I was able to actually receive from them so much more, all the different possibilities that people who are either on my teams or on work groups with me at work, I sometimes was quick to shut people down, not intentionally or to be rude, but I started to recognize how I was moving that way and just really started to see the possibility. I really talk about living in the gray these days, even with my team here. I say, we have a lot of process-oriented work, and that is our job. We are a service organization, and we provide a very high level of service, but it doesn't always have to be within the rules. Be able to find the gray within the black and white. And I was not there seven, eight years ago. It was black or white. And I very much live in the, well, let's call this person and see what they think about that. And it brings such a level of collaboration and respect for people because you're asking their opinion. And it basically is, I'm taking some relationships and I'm building up my favors, right? So anytime I ask someone for their opinion on something, usually it's very well received, especially in higher ed were very collaborative and it was very hard for me to be in that environment and I've adjusted to it very well, but it's been really great for my personality. So I go to my favor bucket and sometimes I'll call them up and ask them for a favor when I need to. So it's been very helpful. It's fantastic. I can only imagine what it's like for you. As I imagine a character in a movie, if you will, 
who's always trying to get everyone to sort of be and do and think and act in the in the way that's precise and blah blah blah. As in someone else, someone in another character who's you know got a lot of room, got a lot of gray areas, etc. But both get stuff done. One is certainly more likable. <laughs> One is certainly more enjoyable to be with and to hang out with and so forth. What's happened for you over the course of these five years in terms of your sense of being liked by others, being appreciated by others, being included in new ways? Can you say anything about all that? Well, I would say I'm probably liked a little bit more by my family. <laughs> Not that they didn't like <laughs> me. My teens think I'm the cool mom, so that is a good thing. But my relationships with people here at this institution has really changed. People will come to me not out of requests, but just to say hi. And that didn't used to happen years ago when I started 16 years ago with this institution. I think sometimes I was that intimidation factor. You know, I was that one that they only called if you had to call that HR director. (laughs) Now people will just call, hey, hi, I'm invited to go to coffee and, you know, I'm invited to be on work groups because I'm viewed as valuable now, not just because I can do the work. I may not be the one that's doing the work. It's also lended itself to my ability to really work with others in a way where I see what their needs are and I'm responding to their needs, kind of forecasting it. And so we've had a lot of transformation here over the course of many years here at the university. I've been able to move myself into positions that I've wanted, into committees that I want to be a part of, not that I'm asked and must be a part of, that have been a huge change and benefit to my identity here. And not just at this institution, but to our peer institutions, even nationally. When you're asked to speak at a national conference, that's a big deal. Certainly is. You've been participating for five years, and you're still still active and participating today at Influence Ecology in this study. Why for you is this a, a valued study? Well, when I started, I did not realize that this is a constant inquiry, and that is something that I've definitely learned in the last couple of years. I just did the programs. And to be honest, in the beginning, I I didn't get value out of them like I should have. And that's because I was being my producer self and not doing it for myself, but doing it for the program. And especially in these last few years, practicing on a regular basis in this ecology makes me stronger every day, every month, every year. I'm in a fabulous study group and we have very different opinions and we really push upon one another. And I said to myself this year, I was like, oh, do I really have time? Should I continue membership? If I didn't continue, I wouldn't be practicing on a regular basis. And this study is not one that you can just stop. So even if I wasn't participating, I would have to make sure that I had enough rigor to be able to study on my own, but I wouldn't have that additional education that's brought from influence ecology every single day, every month. There's always something new. And I I didn't want to miss out on that. (laughs) I I don't want to miss out on it. Understood. It's fascinating. It is. (laughs) It keeps evolving for me and, and all of us here. Your inclusion and other people's inclusion. As you know, we're continuing to grow and evolve in all kinds of wonderful ways simply because we have so many people from all over the world that are 
valuable assets to us all, valuable resources to us all, valuable new thinking to us all. So it's been a remarkable journey. Many people often have something they would love to say. So is there anything else that we should know about anything? So I would say that early in my studies, I was slightly intimidated by the fact that there were many individuals that were entrepreneurs that were part of this study. And I kept questioning myself, do I need to become that? Do I need to do that as well? And over the course of the time, I think it took me probably a good two and a half years for me to accept the fact that I need to be comfortable with the offer that I have, whatever that may be, and whatever specialized knowledge I'm providing to the world. And that was a tough thing for me to do. But I will say that by doing that and focusing on that has really made it tremendously valuable, not just for myself, but for this institution. And many people these days don't stay in one organization for more than seven to 10 years at most these days. I've been at this institution for 16 years and in the last five have just found so many opportunities because of the study. It has helped me be able to present the value that I am rather than me sitting back and waiting for someone to recognize me. Yay. I would just <laughs> sit back and wait. I would do really great Yay. work and I'm not someone that needs accolades, but I would just, oh yeah, they'll promote me because I feel like I deserve it. Or, and if it didn't happen, I wasn't really upset about it, but I was like, well, that's not the right attitude to take. Where do I want to be and how do I position myself to be there? So I will say from a career standpoint and the deliberateness of the study and the eye-opening information and education that you provide that makes some of us go, oh, wow, or oh, crap, I'm that, <laughs> really is phenomenal. It's just been a really great place for me in my life, both personally and professionally. Truly great. Well, Jen, it's been a pleasure. I loved working with you at one of the conferences recently where we had you on a panel and you did a fantastic job, by the way. If, if you, you haven't been told enough, you did a really extraordinary job. Always a pleasure to work with you. Is there anything else you wanted to say? This has been a great opportunity and I thank you and thank you for your continued drive to provide additional education to us. I value it more than I can say in words. Thank you so much. Back at you. Jen Oliver, thank you for being here today for the Influence Ecology podcast. Thank you very much, John Patterson. In this episode's Guru Talk, we listen in on a Fundamentals of Transaction program where Vice President Drew Knowles and co-founder Kirkland Tibbles talk about the willingness to decline and how doing so produces more authority and more freedom. Here's the talk. Staying present to your aims in each condition of life and being informed by the commitments, promises, and obligations already in place will be your greatest guide for what invitations, offers, and requests will or will not offer you the best use of your time, energy, talent, and concerns. There is something to develop in this program as a habit and a practice willing to decline are you willing to decline we are defined as much if not more by what we decline as we are by what we accept so i'll open the floor to you kirkland to expand on this a little i get 
when you were speaking, Drew, I was reminded of a conference session I was in this weekend. There were a group of people there who were making offers to the general conference population, and, and it was just happened to be one of those situations where they were putting on a pretty good pressure. They put on a pretty good high-pressure moment. And when they approached me on the third time, I knew that I was going to need a, to do something a little extra for them to understand that I'm a no, I'm a decline. And I used this, this language. I said, listen, I need you to accept my decline. And that language is meant to get folks' attention. And I strongly recommend that through the duration of this program, at least, that you practice with some language like that. You've got to be willing to decline invitations, offers, and requests that are coming at you. And if it hasn't already started, you can bet it is going to happen that the more you move powerfully in the marketplace, the better you are at transacting, the more invitations, offers, and requests you are going to get. I love letting people in on that one early on in the program and then having them be on a focus lecture or be at one of our live events and hear the folks who've been around for a long time say, I remember when they told us back in the early days of FOT that you better get good at declining. It's why we talk about it early in the program because the better you are at transacting, the more invitations, offers, and requests you're going to get. Now, the question, of course, is how do you know what to accept and how do you know what to decline? Well, this goes back to step number one of the 13 steps. That depends on your aims. The more focused and concentrated you are, the more that you are able to articulate your aims in each condition of life, the faster and cleaner you'll be able to move around accepting or declining invitations, offers, and requests. It is not uncommon to hear people say that they have an inordinate amount of respect for people who can say no and do it powerfully. People who know how to decline invitations properly do it with some grace. They do it with some class. They do it with some gratitude and humility, but they do it and they do it all the time. The most successful people I know are in a near constant state of decline of invitations, offers, and requests. And chances are you don't even recognize the number of invitations, offers, and requests that you are getting on a day-to-day -day basis. Ambitious adults are inundated with invitations, offers, and requests in so many forms and in so many ways that sometimes they're unrecognizable. And I would ask you to consider if you're any good at declines. I even go so far as to say that you are more defined by what you decline than by what you accept. We as human beings are regularly attracted to people who are so crystal clear about where they're going and what it is that they know that they need to produce, that they will gravitate toward those who decline and do it openly and do it publicly and do it graciously and do it with ethics. On a regular basis, you will need to be able to accept the declines of those who are not responding to you and your own invitations, offers, and requests. You'll need to get good at it. Many times, I don't know how many times, Drew, you've done it this week, but I've done it three times already this week where someone said they would get back to me with something. Someone will get back to me with a contract or get back with me with a proposal or get back to me with some intellectual property that was due on a deadline. And I am, I'm, pretty quick to let them know that something along the lines of, hey, listen, 
we had an agreement. I checked in with you. I haven't heard from you. It looks like that you are no longer interested. And I want you to know that while I appreciate the opportunity, I accept your decline. What happens on a regular basis when you recognize and respect your own offer enough that you offer people the clarity about where you hold your offers, people will respond. I'll tell you a story how I, years ago when I first got to Hollywood, I was very lucky and got a meeting with Ron Howard's company within the first few months of actually being in business in with my production company in Los Angeles. And this particular company is known for their rigor. They're known to, to move pretty effectively. We went in with my writing partners and my producing partners. We went in, we pitched this thing, and it doesn't happen very often anymore, but we actually sold the project in the room that day, and that means that they made us an offer. And they took us down to the legal department, and we met with the head of legal, and they told us at that time, they said, now let me be crystal clear, when we close this door, the jurisdiction for this project changes hands. The creatives, who were all in these really good moves, had turned everything over to the legal department, and they made it really clear. They couldn't have been any clearer that whatever they say goes in this department. Now, the lawyer was a very nice guy, very congenial, very gregarious guy. Um, we had a nice time. We drew up a deal memo, and there were steps that we needed to take to get back to him, and he said, I'll expect it by Friday. Do you agree? We agreed. And everybody was on the same page. So Friday rolled around, and we were working on the project. But like everyone in Hollywood, we were uh, somewhat indifferent to the deadline. And at 5 o'clock, a fax came over the machine, and they had accepted our decline of a project that we were absolutely working on and fully expecting that we would deliver. Now, that fact got my attention. Basically, they said, listen, pleasure to do business with you. We had an agreement that 5 o'clock by Friday, uh, we understand if this project is not in, in your interest, and we're moving on. That was how they, that was the language that they used. We're moving on. Well, it wasn't two minutes, Drew, before I was on the phone, and it called that lawyer on the phone, and they made it perfectly clear that that was the way they're going to do business. And the words that he used ring in my ear today, and it was, we would appreciate your respect of our offer. They made us an offer, and it was a good one. And I ask you, do you respect your offer enough to do the same? When people don't get back with you, you know as well as I do, they're probably just not paying attention. They're probably indifferent. They're probably busy. They've probably got some things going on, and they will run around and take as much advantage and use as much space as you give them. In our next episode, we interview John Severson, an event and venue specialist who's helped us find amazing venues for our global conferences. Some possibilities are dangerous. I used to think... There was no such thing as a bad idea. If you get enough people to believe in it, you can do it. That's what I'm noticing that's the most costly in some of the people that haven't done the influence ecology work versus the people that are starting to do it is they get to sit down and go, maybe that's not a great way to go. 
My special thanks to our guest, Jen Oliver. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with her and all the links to websites, books, or downloads mentioned in this podcast. Some episodes include a transcript and support material. The Influence Ecology podcast is produced by Influence Ecology LLC in Ventura, California. This episode was recorded on May 4th, 2018, and was produced by me, John Patterson, and Jason Kelly. This program is made possible through the assistance of the Influence Ecology faculty, mentors, and students around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study in the philosophy of transactionalism and the fundamentals of transactional competence. This episode includes contributions by Carol Gregory and Tyson Crandall. For this episode, the sound design and editing are by Jason Kelly. The podcast theme is by Chris Standring, entitled Fast Train to Everywhere. You can subscribe to the Influence Ecology podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at influenceecology.com. If you haven't yet offered a rating or a review, I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes or your podcast app, and let us know what you think. This helps us more than you know.